Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Arm Scholar podcast. We are going to be reacting to a Joe Rogan podcast that he did with Lex Friedman. I believe this is around the time that Joe Rogan had just moved over to Texas. So I think they're having an early discussion about firearms and Lex is asking some questions about firearms and kind of giving his response to some of these things. So we're going to be listening to this and then reacting and breaking this down piece by piece. What about we're in Texas now? What about guns? Well, so, that's the best martial art. No, but would you, <laughs> like, uh, in this crazy time, should people carry guns? It's not a bad idea to have a gun because if you need a gun, you have a gun. And if you don't need a gun, if you're a person with self-control, you're not going to use it. You're not going to just randomly use it, but you have something to protect you. This is the whole idea of the Second Amendment. The whole idea of the Second Amendment gets distorted by mass shootings or by terrible people who murder people and do terrible things, but it's... That all those things are real, but they don't take away from the fundamental efficacy of having a firearm and defending your family or defending your life. And there are real live situations where people have had firearms and it's protected them or their loved ones or they've stopped shooters. They've, there's many of these stories, but people don't like those stories because then it – it t tends to lead to this gun culture argument, this pro-gun culture argument that people find very uncomfortable. It's, it's Human beings are messy, and we're messy in so many different ways, right? We're messy uh, emotionally, we're messy, messy physically, but we're also messy in what's good or bad. What's, we want things to be binary. We want things to be right or wrong, you know, one or zero, and they're not. But there is crime in the world. There is violence in the world. And you're better off knowing how to fight. And you're better off knowing how to defend yourself. And you're better off having a gun. So there in the first section here, Joe, kind of talking about firearms, kind of talking about the utility of firearms. And this is nothing new to a lot of you guys. Uh, we talk about this heavily on the channel. This is the whole purpose of the channel is to get more people into firearms to understanding their fundamental right to keep and bear arms. The purpose of it. Here, Joe is focusing more on, I believe, the self-defense aspect of things about how a firearm is a very effective equalizer. It's really effective to equalize, you know, force of threats uh, if you're a female or maybe someone of lesser uh, strength. Of course, a firearm is amazing for that. But here he's talking primarily about self-defense, um, the utility of it for self-defense. And he then talks about, you know, that's the whole purpose of the Second Amendment, the, you know, the purpose of the Second Amendment is for self-defense, for you to be able to protect yourself, your family members, and others. Now, while that is true, that is one aspect of the Second Amendment, and often you actually hear uh, the Supreme Court has expressly addressed this in Supreme Court decisions like Heller, McDonald, recently Bruin, Caetano, and in other cases, we've, we've had Supreme Court decisions talking about the purpose of the Second Amendment, and we've also had lower court decisions where they break down the purpose of the Second Amendment, but I'm going to primarily focus on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has talked about self-defense and how self-defense is at the core of the right, is at the core of the purpose of the Second Amendment. But that doesn't mean that the only purpose of the Second Amendment is targeted towards self-defense. The Second Amendment has other conduct, has other things that it focuses on. One of the things that often goes ignored sometimes in these conversations is that the Second Amendment is primarily also targeted towards an individual being able to defend themselves and push back against a tyrannical government, whether it is foreign or domestic. That is a 
big aspect of the Second Amendment that often goes overlooked. I think they talk about it a little bit here because this is during that time period, 2020, 2021, you know, maybe early 2022, uh, when we still had a lot of lockdowns and there was still a lot of uncertainty. And what we saw during that period, and I think they reference it here later, is that so many people who maybe weren't into firearms, who weren't into gun culture, who didn't really care about the Second Amendment or their right to keep and bear arms, we saw a lot of people all of a sudden wake up and decide, hey, I should probably go out and buy a firearm because it's looking a little dicey out there in the world, especially with all the lockdowns and everything. And there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of things uh, questionable about what our government was doing and some of the responses. And so we saw a ton of people who traditionally weren't into firearms and maybe never even owned a firearm. All of a sudden they went out and purchased their first firearm. We saw the sales, the NIC systems, um, the background checks skyrocket during those years. Firearm sales for gun stores skyrocketed. Uh, you know, recently I was out at Rifle Supply in Huntington Beach. I did a podcast with them and I was talking to them a little bit about their experience during the whole lockdown period during, you know, I think 2021, you know, on 2020, what would, what was their experience? And man, they were saying, you know, sales were awesome. Firearms were flying off the shelves because so many people were realizing that they needed a firearm. They needed to be able to take that personal responsibility into their own hands to defend themselves and their family. Maybe if law enforcement wouldn't be able to, and also just the uncertainty about where our nation was going. Because again, that's one of those things that often goes overlooked. A lot of times when you have these gun control debates with anti-gunners, they say, oh, like, why would you need an AR-15? Why would you need a handgun like a Glock? Well, you're actually gonna use that to uh, fight against you know, the government. You know, they have, you know, planes and tanks and you know whatever they often throw out that that type of talking point but the reality is yes you do need those firearms to fight against a tyrannical government either foreign or domestic and we've seen i mean a lot of people say oh it wouldn't be effective but as we've seen in foreign conflicts you know u.s against other foreign groups militant uh we've seen a uh, guerrilla warfare those types of tactics have been very effective against a army like the u.s you know people would just AKs and handguns and, and, you know, improvised weapons have been very effective. And we've seen that, you know, in Vietnam and, and other things. So I think to say that you, there's no utility in that regard, people try to discount that. It's just simply not true. Again, a lot of people tried to brush off, you know, that would never happen in the U.S., but we have seen, you know, many democracies, we've seen many governments go tyrannical and go tyrannical against their civilization. So again, that's one of those core aspects of the Second Amendment that often goes overlooked. But there is still a ton of utility just on the individual level for self-defense. It is an amazing tool, like I mentioned. I think Joden mentions how, you know, it's important to also be trained. And I would agree, it's very important to be trained. You know, when you hear the thing about well-regulated militia, a lot of times people on the anti-gun side will point to that and say, well, look, it says regulated. That means regulations. The government can put regulations on the Second Amendment or on your right to keep and bear arms. But traditionally, if you look historically, that is not what well-regulated meant. At the time when the Second Amendment was ratified, well-regulated simply means well-trained, well-organized, a group of people being well-trained and well-organized. And that was the purpose of it. And in fact, the Supreme Court recently in that Heller decision addressed that very issue about well-regulated. Actually just sent out a tweet not that long ago talking about this very topic because that's something you still see pop up quite a bit, especially in anti-gun groups when they're arguing or trying to debate against the utility of the Second Amendment or argue that the Second Amendment 
uh, can be had there can be restrictions put on the Second Amendment, even despite it saying shall not be infringed. A lot of times they will point to, well, it says well regulated. And actually, let me pull up the tweet that I recently sent out, and it was in response to a, a conversation that Koyan Noir was having with, I believe, someone who was anti-gun, and they were talking about you know well regulated. This is Koyan saying well regulated meant well functioning, not laws like you were implying. And then I responded to that, you know, to further bolster that that yes, the Supreme Court has answered this question. One of the most recent ones was in Heller, but they also talked about this in Bruin, DCB Heller. And this is a direct quote from the Supreme Court in Heller. It says, finally, the adjective well-regulated implies nothing more than the imposition of proper discipline and training. So again, training and discipline is important, is one of the critical aspects of the Second Amendment. I believe, and I think I said this in my last podcast, that everybody should be well-trained. You should take pride in being the most trained person that you can possibly be. Go take courses. Don't just think because you go to an indoor range every once in a while and you know shoot a box of uh, 50 rounds that you're, you're good. You go get training, go train with awesome people. There's plenty of courses out there. Just name a few like John Lovell, Achilles Hill Tactical, Modern Samurai Project, JJ Bracaza, Haley Strategic. There's, there's a ton of trainers out there. I mean, even just going on Instagram, you can find a ton of trainers. So go be trained. Like Joe is mentioning, I think a lot of people, even I would, I would point this out to Joe because I think he talks about it a little bit later. I think a lot of people overestimate how trained they really are. I have shot with so many amazing shooters that I know that I am not up to their level and I tend to be actually probably diminishing my skills quite a bit just because I shoot with so many high level shooters quite often when I go to events and stuff. But again, that's an aside. Training is awesome, but the core of the Second Amendment is not just meant and geared towards self-defense. It is also geared towards your ability to be armed and to defend yourself and your country against your own government that might go tyrannical or maybe a foreign invading country. I generally think that guns, I do like the idea that guns, uh, Second Amendment helps protect the First Amendment. There's a kind of sense that makes puts me at ease knowing that so many people in this country have guns that uh i mean alex jones i just listened to one episode of Infowars. yeah so to stop there you know lex is hitting on something really important it's something we echo a lot here on this community on these videos and a lot of other 2a advocates you know echo quite a bit is that the second amendment is in place right after the first amendment because the second amendment protects the first and all other rights and well-armed citizenry will prevent a government from infringing on those other rights that are enumerated, those fundamental rights that are stated in the Bill of Rights. Now, again, to clear up some things, a lot of people try to say that the Second Amendment grants certain rights. The Second Amendment doesn't grant any rights. Essentially, it just says what the government cannot do to infringe on fundamental, what I would argue are inalienable human rights, God-given rights that we have, you know, from our birth, you know, the second amendment does not grant us anything. It just says what the government shouldn't do. And it says shall not infringe on that right. You know, it, it is really important. And I, I appreciate that Lex is, is emphasizing this fact that the second amendment is so critical to protect all these other rights. And it's interesting a lot when you see these two litigations that we, in cases that we follow, a lot of these lawsuits and regulations and rules that are put in place by the ATF and executive orders by the Biden administration, a lot of times they try to treat the Second Amendment as a second-class right. This is something that Justice Thomas has stated expressly multiple times in dissents and, and in his own opinion recently in Bruin. He stated that the Second Amendment is not a second-class right. It stands 
solid. It stands true with all the other rights like the First Amendment. We would never treat the First Amendment as a lesser right to any other right. We shouldn't do anything different with the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment needs to be treated the same as every other fundamental right. And it needs to be recognized as every other fundamental right. But as we've seen with various state actions, federal actions, oftentimes there are these small attempts to chip away at the Second Amendment to lessen its impact and over time to try to make it something that where it doesn't actually stand equivalent to all the other rights that we have. So again, I appreciate that Lex Freeman is talking about this regard, that the Second Amendment, he sees the utility in it, he sees how important it is because the Second Amendment also protects the First Amendment. For the first time, <laughs> boy, is he, he reminds me like when I drank some tequila, I felt like I'm going to some dark places today. That's how I feel like listening to him. But he, uh, he talks about like that it's, he worries about martial law. So basically government overreach by which happened throughout history. Like yeah. there's there's something to worry about there, but it's it puts me at ease knowing that so much of the population has guns that people, government would think twice before uh, instituting martial law in cities. But I actually was asking almost like on the individual level, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I don't. Yeah, so again, Lex is talking about something we just hit on a little bit earlier, talking about you know how the Second Amendment and the utility also is to prevent you know something like martial law, to prevent something like government overreach, especially which was very relevant during this discussion that they're having because you know they're in the peak of the lockdowns and social unrest. And a lot of people had questions about what was going to happen. And there was a ton of, a lot of people just woke up during that period to the utility of the Second Amendment, to the utility of owning a firearm, to be trained in firearms, to have ammunition, to have magazines, to be well-equipped, to defend themselves just in case. But I would, I remember having this conversation recently with a bunch of other gun creators. I can't remember what event we were at, but we were, we were talking about this and how awesome it was that so many people, uh, new people came to firearms. And yes, that's awesome. But it's funny how time changes things because, you know, early on during those lockdowns, a lot of people were going out and purchasing firearms, which was awesome. And a lot of people were concerned and saw that utility, like I said. But as time has gone on, and now that we're in 2023, going to go into 2024, a lot of those people have kind of resorted back to their baseline and have forgotten, you know, that period when they said, you know, I don't own a gun. Maybe I was anti-gun. I need to go out and buy a firearm. All of a sudden, these people have kind of resorted back to their baseline of what they were prior to all this stuff unraveling in our government and in our society. So I, I find that really interesting. My hope during that time period was that so many people would get into firearms and it would sustain and a lot of people would understand the utility of it. Um, I, I think people just resort back to their natural behavior a lot of times. And But one of the goals, I think, you know, if something like that were to ever happen again, and God forbid something like that ever happen again, would be to bring more people along so that we actually bolster the numbers of the gun community and those people advocating for our two-eye rights. Because I think a lot of people went out and purchased firearms, but maybe they didn't go train after, or maybe they didn't look into further into education or the history or the laws or the lawsuits or anything, you know, surrounding firearms. You know, they just purchased it, thought that they felt safe, put it in their, their safe, leave it in their home and just think that they're good to go. So I think, I'm sure you guys know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people like that, you know, during that period of all that stuff. I'm sure you guys also got, I got a ton of text messages from friends who, you know, knew I was into firearms, who knew what I did here on YouTube. And then all of a sudden I'm getting a bunch of 
you know, calls from people, you know, asking, you know, oh, could I borrow your guns? Or, you know, you heard those jokes often about people, you know, I'll just go to his house. You know, he's got everything you would need. So it's just interesting how there was this temporary mental shift that happened in our nation. But I think, you know, over time, people just fall back into their natural state, especially those new gun owners. And the hope is that, you know, at least maybe that bug is planted so that down the road they get more into firearms, they get more into trying to educate themselves to training and then get into the actual two-way community and advocating for two-way rights to make sure that they can still have access to firearms and then also the upcoming generations also still have access to firearms. Yet own a gun. And I felt that if I carry a gun, statistically, just for me as a human, knowing my psychology, I feel like I'm more likely to die like, I feel like I would put myself in situations that I shouldn't. Like the way I, I will see the world will change. Because really? my natural feeling is like when somebody, when I was in Philly and I knew late at night of West Philly, when some guy looks at you, uh, you can immediately calculate that this is a dangerous human being. There, It starts with a monkey look at first. Like I'm a bigger monkey than you. And that's where I found like, for example, I'll do the beta thing of just looking down and turning away and, and just getting out of trouble, like very politely. And basically that kind of approach, because if you have, a, in terms of getting out of serious violent situations, like serious, something where you could die versus if I had a gun, I feel like I would want to be, that there would be that cowboy monkey thing where I would want to put myself in situations mm. where I'm a little bit of a savior, even of myself, and almost create danger which can no longer, can, like the escalation of which I can no longer control. Well, you're talking about taking a gun. So I want to stop there. I find that interesting, and I, I guess I appreciate Lex's concern, but I think that comes from the concern of someone like he, you know, he admits very candidly that he, at this time, he didn't own any firearms. So obviously he's never concealed carry, probably hasn't trained a lot with firearms, probably hasn't been a lot around guns and in, in, you know, the culture surrounding firearms. And here it seems like he's more expressly concerned with, you know, I haven't purchased a firearm or I haven't got my CCW because if I concealed carry, I'm worried that maybe trouble will find me or I'm more prone to maybe some sort of violent behavior, which, you know, it's hard to say because I don't, it doesn't seem like he has that type of personal demeanor. I mean, he seems like a very uh, well-educated individual. I think he used to work at MIT on artificial intelligence. He's, he's a very intelligent individual, uh, very well-spoken, very thoughtful. I know he's a, a black belt in jujitsu at this point. So I don't think that he has that type of demeanor where he would just go out trying to find trouble just because he has a firearm. But I can speak for myself in concealed carrying, and I'm sure I can speak for a lot of you once you guys got into concealed carry. I would say the the exact opposite happens. I think when you, you have a firearm, you start training with firearms, and especially when you first start concealed carrying, I think you're more paranoid and you actually avoid situations more fervently. Uh, you don't put yourself into situations where you would ever have to use your firearm. You will avoid going out at night. You will avoid, avoid you know, the scary, uh, you know, 
situations or or going to bad neighborhoods. You know, you're not going to drive into LA into bad neighborhoods or San Francisco into bad neighborhoods. You will actually avoid those situations, avoid any situation where you would potentially have to use your firearm because you have one in you. In some regards, it makes you more paranoid. I know a lot of people when they first start concealed carrying for the first time, I've had conversations with a lot of new gun owners or new concealed carry holders. And, you know, they're constantly worried about printing. If you're not familiar with what printing is, Printing is simply, you know, someone being able to potentially see your firearm on you just because of the outline of it, it's, you know, printing through your shirt or whatever clothing you're wearing. A lot of people are very paranoid about printing when they first start carrying. So I would say it, it does. He's right in some regard to where there is a mentality shift. I, I would definitely agree with that, but I, I would say it's in the opposite of what he's concerned in. Actually, I think it makes you more passive. It makes you more docile and it makes you avoid, you know, dramatic situations like he's referencing or potentially dangerous situations like he's referencing because you being involved in those situations have greater stakes, just like he's mentioning, you know, you being in a bad situation, if something coming out where, you know, there's a direct threat to your immediate safety, you know, threat of great bodily injury or death to yourself or to someone else that's in your immediate area, since you have a firearm on you, you may potentially be justified in, you know, engaging, engaging that threat. And you know that going in. So a lot of times I find myself, and I'm sure a lot of you guys find yourselves avoiding those situations. So I would say to Lex, if I'm not sure if he owns a firearm, I would say, you know, if you're able to go purchase a firearm, start training with it, work towards the CCW process, take CCW training courses. There are tons of courses out there that help you uh, with, you know, concealed carrying and, and how to draw from concealed carry and make you more confident and more uh, able to carry concealed and make you more effective to carry concealed. And I know they started off, you know, this conversation talking about how, you know, a firearm is a true martial art because I think they're talking about, you know, their love for jujitsu. Um, you know, both of them are black belts. I've trained jujitsu. I'm a blue belt, so I'm nowhere at their level. Um, but yes, you know, obviously you should be trained in martial arts to be able to defend yourself without a firearm. But a firearm is also... I would equate it similar, you know, it has a fundamental right attached to it, but a firearm is kind of like a martial art. It's a skill set. It's it's a perishable skill set. It's something that you need to train, you know, consistently with, uh, train with your equipment consistently with, tweak things, uh, go to other people who can teach you things that maybe you're not exposed to. So again, I, I, I appreciate his candor in talking about maybe his concerns with firearms. And I think maybe there's a lot of people out there in the U.S., or just out around who have this same type of concerns to where maybe carrying a firearm or having a firearm would lead to more dangerous situations. And I just don't find that to be true. I've never seen that to be true. I don't think the statistics show that to be true at all. You know, take somewhere like California that has very strict concealed carry laws. Um, you know, there are people who concealed carry. We don't see a great rise in violent crimes committed by CCW holders or drastic criminal incidents associated to CCW holders. I think there is, I think recent reports was about, anyway, it's hard to say because the CDC has fudged some numbers. I think anywhere between 500,000 to like 1.5 million uh, self-defense uses with firearms, uh, you know, within some years. So yes, it can happen, but I would say the concern that Having a firearm will directly cause those incidents. I would say those incidents were probably going to happen anyways. Luckily for those people who found themselves in those incidents, they had a firearm on them to engage in self-defense, effective self-defense with a firearm to protect themselves or their family members. You know, what would it look like for that potential 500,000 to 1.5 million people who 
maybe had to engage in some sort of self-defense, but they didn't have a firearm. So there's, you know, two sides to each of these coins, but I would say that his concerns as far as carrying a handgun or having a firearm would lead to more potential incidents. I just don't find that there would be validity in that. Gun somewhere versus having a gun in your home. Yes, yes. I mean, carry yeah. on me. That's a different situation and much harder uh, to get a warrant for or a license for that. You know, control uh, concealed carry licenses, especially in Massachusetts, they don't come easy. Well, Massachusetts, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah whole but whole you're saying thing. gun in the home. Yeah, Makes gun sense. in the home. Having a gun, having knowing how to use a gun. Like I know how to use a gun. I've trained, you know, many hours learning how to shoot a gun at, at tactical places. You know, there's a bunch of videos of me doing it on uh, yeah, Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> I I practice, and I think it's good to to understand how to be accurate. Yeah, and so that last section they're talking about, you know, Joe saying, yeah, you're concerned maybe about concealed carrying. Maybe you should just have one in your home. And I think that's you know, a great place for you. Know, I think that's actually a, a really solid recommendation. I think everybody should start first with worrying about their immediate household, making sure they have something, a way to protect themselves and their family in their home. There's the reason why we have the castle doctrine because your home is your castle. Also, I think it's important to understand your state or local laws in regards to self-defense. Not gonna go through it all here, but you know, like I mentioned the castle doctrine, a lot of states recognize this castle doctrine or affirmatively say you have the ability to stand your ground within your home. A lot of times, you know, some states have stand your ground laws, some states don't. Some states have a duty to retreat, some states don't. Um, some states have a stand your ground law like in the state of California, but it's not expressly stated in any statutes. It's more by case law. So there's a lot of things that you have to understand as far as self-defense. And I think if you're going to own a firearm, you should also understand the legalities surrounding you firearms, especially if you're just going to have it in your home for protection. Understand that. Understand, you know, the standards for self-defense, imminence, um, great bodily injury or death threats, you know, proportionality, all of those things that you need to know in regards to self-defense. And maybe we'll do a podcast where I fully, you know, talk about self-defense and maybe we'll go over a self-defense situation. But, you know, that's not for here. But again, I think, you know, understanding your laws are always important. But, I, you know, starting within your home, owning a firearm for your home, for your your defense, for your family's defense, that's always a great place to start. And then, like Joe mentioned, start training, get educated on the topic, and then maybe move towards concealed carry in. Right now in the U.S., concealed carry is a lot easier than it has ever been. You know, right there, they're referencing, you know, getting a CCW in Massachusetts may be hard, which, yes, it is. Uh, but there's a lot of states that have moved away from required permits to concealed carry. Uh, you know, Joe's in Texas now. They have constitutional carry in Texas. There's a lot of states that have moved for, towards some sort of constitutional carry or permitless carry. You know, we have more states now within the U.S. than not that recognize some sort of permitless carry or constitutional carry, which is awesome. And we're probably need even more states as the years go on that move towards that. And a big impact on that also was the Supreme Court's recent decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, where there it was directly dealing with the state of New York's concealed carry scheme and the state of New York had a essentially a May issue scheme that had a proper cause standard attached to it. And the proper cause standard meant you would have to put forward some sort of justification for you to get a concealed carry permit within the state. Now, with the proper cause standard, it was very hard to meet that. Oftentimes, some people joke that you would have to go to the issuing agency and say, you know, I get chased down the street every single day by a bear who's on a motorcycle with Uzis. 
And even sometimes those issuing agencies would still not give you a permit to carry concealed. Now that, of course, that's a joke, but it was such a, sometimes it was such a hard standard to meet. And that case went up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court looked at May issue schemes, among other things in that lawsuit, and found that May issue CCW licensing schemes are invalid under the Second Amendment, and therefore they were struck down. Also importantly in that decision, the Supreme Court also struck down the type of analysis that left-leaning liberal uh, lower courts had used in the past, known as the two-step approach. All, they also struck down the use of interest balancing, where a government would simply just put forward any type of public interest at all, and then they would get a rubber stamp from the courts. I would say, well, that's good enough. You know, If you want to restrict magazines or concealed carry or whatever, as long as the government put forward some sort of vague public interest of why they are putting in place that law, the lower courts used to say, okay, that's good enough. For example, in the Ninth Circuit, they used to do that quite often. Supreme Court struck that down in Bruin. They also did another thing that a lot of people overlook, where we had had the Supreme Court directly and expressly acknowledge in the past that the uh, Second Amendment is an individual right. It's an individual right also to self-defense within your home. Then there were a bunch of lower courts after the Heller decision, after the, you know, I think the 14 years after Heller, who had tried to say that the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms, although individual individual is as a right, you know, sometimes they would concede that they would say, you know, it only exists within your home. And the second you step outside of your home and go into public, like they're referencing here in this discussion, uh, you don't have a right to keep and bear arms. And the Supreme Court in Bruin said, that's not true. It's an individual right that exists within your home. And it doesn't just magically disappear once you step outside of your home. It is a also a right to carry out in public for self-defense and for your defense and other people's defense. So Bruin was awesome in changing a lot of the discussion around concealed carry and kind of correcting the course of the ship when it came to uh, concealed carry and public carry. And a lot of states are now currently engaged in putting in place constitutional carry. And we have more states, like I mentioned, who are moving towards that. So I think the mentality of the nation is definitely shifting recognizing more that the citizens, the individuals need to be armed. They need to be carrying out in public to defend themselves and others. And uh, I, I personally think that's an amazing thing. I think that's what the Second Amendment is intended to do. Historically, that is how we recognize the right. And so I would just say to Lex, you know, if he's concerned about that, like Joe mentioned, start small, purchase a firearm, start to train with it, start to shoot it, you know, educate yourself about you know, training itself, the firearm itself, the mechanics of the firearm, and then go also dig into the education, the legal side, the constitutional side of firearms, and then work your way up to maybe then finally concealed carrying. I think that's a path that a lot of people take uh, or have taken in the past. That's a path that I took originally where I purchased a firearm originally, uh, primarily just to have for my own self-defense and then move towards training education and then move towards concealed carry. And then now I guess people consider me a gun nut and I'm here on YouTube talking about this type of stuff. So, you know, interesting conversation. I always appreciate when these types of conversations happen between two very popular individuals on a very popular podcast. I think this is an important conversation to have. This was definitely an important conversation at the time because we were coming, you know, right then we were on the, in the thick of, you know, a lot of the lockdowns and a lot of the heavy concern in regards to what was happening. And people were definitely seeing the utility of going out and purchasing firearms. Hopefully a situation like that never really happens again, uh, where people are concerned like that in that regard to have to go out and purchase handguns. Because I, I don't know about you guys, I remember the lines. Um, I remember I had purchased, I think, a Glock 26 or something like that, probably three weeks before the lockdowns happened. And then the lockdowns happened and I, it was my 
block after the California 10 day waiting period is my time to go pick up my farm. And this was just when, you know, things started to get, get kick off and there was a line outside of the door. I waited in line for hours just to pick up my farm that I had already purchased because so many people were going in there scared, trying to purchase firearms, trying to purchase ammunition, you know, a lot of people for the first time. So hopefully we'd never really get to there again. Um, you know, history has shown that sometimes that's inevitable, but again, important conversation to have. I really enjoy both of Joe Rogan's podcast and Lex Freeman's podcast. And I think as Lex moves towards, I think he's now moved to Texas. So I would assume that he's probably gotten more into firearms, but again, important conversation. Hope you guys like this podcast. If you guys like this podcast, make sure you like, comment, subscribe. And like I said, if you're listening to the audio side of things, uh, if you're either on Spotify or Apple, make sure again, you are following over there uh, and make sure you leave reviews, leave the five-star reviews or just an actual like text review because that helps the algorithm. So again, thank you guys so much. If you guys have ideas for future podcasts, let me know down below. But as always, thank you all for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And never forget this nation was built by arm scholars and this nation will be maintained by arm scholars.